This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I've not looked back. I can't recommend enough checking out the range of optics that Leica have to offer. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by, and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them five thumbs up. If you want to check out more of Leica's range, then visit their website that can be found in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I am your host, Ryan Dalton. Thanks a bunch for clicking play on that pod. Well, I hope, I hope, I, <laughs> I just said the word hope without the H. That was the most cockney I've been for a few weeks, actually. I hope you all had a good Easter. <laughs> I hope you did. Did you all eat a lot of chocolate? I'm vegan or otherwise, doesn't really matter, but I hope you had a good time. Um, or if any religious people are listening, I hope you enjoyed celebrating the proper meaning of Easter. Which is rabbits and chocolate, isn't it? That's that's what it's about. <laughs> I had a lovely weekend, I say, before the weekend's happened, because as I record this, it's Thursday the 14th of April, but tomorrow is Good Friday, and I'm heading down to Devon. Myself, Christina and Riles, Riley, our dog, are heading down to Tynmouth in Devon to stay in a shepherd's hut. Very on brand, I know. Um, but we're going to be enjoying some lovely walks, sitting by the coast. First time I'm going to be at the coast in about four or five years, and which is mad, isn't it? When you live in London, it's not that far away. Um, oh no, tell a lie. We went to Brighton in 2019. We went to Brighton, that's the coast. First time I've gone further than an hour south, <laughs> apparently. So we're very much looking forward to that. But let's share some positive news. It would be nice to have some positive news, wouldn't it? Let's, let's, let's have some news that is not about a war, about the UK government having a party, or about climate change. Let's just take our minds away from that a minute and let Ryan... Um, soothe you with some <laughs> 60 second nature news some four positive stories from around the world all about nature that will bring a smile to your their face let's go the rspb site in the lake district horswater had confirmation from the south of scotland golden eagle project that two of their golden eagles recently explored the full length of horswater this could be a sign of them returning to the area for the first time since the last male vanished back in 2015. Blackface spoonbills may be removed from the list of endangered animals in around two years' time after their population reaches an all-time high of more than 6,000 individuals, which is epic considering it was only 1,000 20 years ago. After a decade-long programme in South Australia to prevent gillnet use near an endangered population of sea lion colonies, researchers estimate that deaths caused by nets have dropped a whopping 98%, a sure sign that conservation mixed with marine management can have positive impacts. And finally, the RSPB shared on Twitter that the Marine Management Organisation announced that bottom-toed fishing will be banned in the Dogger Bank, situated in the North Sea, and it is the largest continuous area of sandbank in UK waters, which is great news for sand eels and species that rely on them. 
And that's the end of 60 Second Nature News. There we go, some positive stories to get us started for the week. Let's move on to today's episode. Today we are talking about something that filled my childhood. I used to go down to Weymouth every year. My granddad and my nan had a a little wee caravan or a little caravan site that we used to go down to. And what we're talking about on today's show is something that I took part in four or five times a year. And that is exploring the habitat that is the rock pool. Now, if we're going to talk about rock pools, who am I going to talk to? Well, it's only Christoph and Ben from the Rock Pool Project in Falmouth in the UK. (laughs) Who else am I going to talk to? Um, It was an absolute pleasure to talk to two people that are ecstatic about these wonderful and at times mysterious little habitats, these little ecosystems that get trapped for short periods of time. And uh, they're just wonderful. I absolutely love a rock pool. So it was lovely to talk to two people that were extremely like-minded. I've also been formally invited by them both to go and join a rock pool safari, which, hell yes, please. Absolutely, I'd like that. So without blabbering on too much, it's quite evident what this episode's going to be about. But this is Rock Pools with Ben and Christoph from the Rock Pool Project. Right. Welcome, Christoph and Ben, to into the wild thanks so much for joining me on this episode absolute pleasure to have you both here talking about i don't know if to say a topic or environment or habitat i'm going to go with all three of those words but it's nice to talk about them because it has such a lovely kind of i don't know memory in my brain of being a kid <laughs> what we're talking about today many a trips down to the seaside many a trips with a bucket a crab line and some bacon fat. But basically what I'm trying to say is I'm looking forward to today's chat. But Ben and Christoph, welcome to the show. Ben, we'll start with you. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. And thanks very much for having us both on on the show. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, It's interesting hearing you you talk about your childhood. I think uh, we basically just (laughs) never grew up and just uh, (laughs) carried on and uh, never planned to either. Ben, should we start by getting you to introduce yourself, telling us who you are and what is it you do? So my name's Ben Holt. I'm an ecologist, um, a marine biologist. I do research in all sorts of different fields in academia. And then one of the things I got really into was citizen science. And I got more and more involved on the ground in citizen science to got to the stage I'm at today where uh, I'm, uh, I, I helped set up and, and I'm running a, a citizen science not-for-profit organisation called the Rockpool Project. Oh, incredible. Well, welcome to the show. And I'm so excited to hear more about it. And Christoph, welcome to the show. How are you, my man? Oh, all right. Okay, bye. Uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but the, the news isn't great at the moment. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Let's, uh, let's not talk about that. Yes, you're right. The, the world is weird at the moment. So it's nice to be able to chat about something that's not. Christoph, do you want to explain who you are and what is it you do? Yeah, uh, hi, I'm, I'm Christoph. So I'm a, a, a ecologist, a, a researcher. Uh, I'm currently uh, studying for a, a PhD, but I'm also quite ingrained in, in the Rockpool Project uh, as the director of science. So I help design uh, and now run and uh, analyze the, the citizen science data that people who, who come and volunteer that their time with us collect and, you know, and, and sort of 
well, as a director, I guess I direct the, the, the direction of of that in in, in my in in uh, in my spare time, while also spending my time coding around DNA sequences of of damselflies. So it's, uh, it's nice to take a break and go 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 rock go rock pulling when I when I can from from that because. Uh, as a, as a lot of researchers know, they get into it for looking at animals and wildlife, but what they actually turn out doing is just staring at their computer coding. So <laughs> that's that's the majority of my life. But yes, getting out rock pulling as much as I can and, and uh, well, trying to share how, how amazing rock pools are with the, with the wider public. And like I said at the beginning, this is what I was trying to say in a very poor way, but basically my childhood was, you know, I was very lucky that my grandparents had uh, a tiny caravan in Weymouth that we used to all crowd in. I don't know how the family used to fit in this place. But my my kind of early years and then into my early teens, and I'm not going to lie, up until I was 18, 19 as well, was going down to Bowley's Cove in Weymouth and just going to the rock pools and just... I used to absolutely adore it. It was my highlight of my holiday and the highlight of my year because you just didn't know what you were going to find like all the time. I saw pipefish in rock pools. I saw sand lizards on the beach. I saw there was so much you would see. And each time you found something new, it got even more exciting to go next time. You're like, what else am I going to find? And just, you know, there's always a risk that someone's going to slip over on seaweed as well. So it's always a very positive thing to go and do um so i'm really pumped to be able to talk about rock pools i think they they hold a place in my heart very um close to my memories of being young before we go on to rock pools specifically let's talk about a bit about you you both and your love for the natural world so ben obviously ecologist and setting up citizen science and getting people engaged with the natural world obviously it means a lot to you but what would you say your favorite thing is about the natural world well it's a really really good question uh, and I think that, like the best questions, it, it's it's quite a basic question, really. And um, as you say, this is something that um, consumes my life, really. Uh, and it, but something that I, I guess when you've, you when you you are passionate about something, you never really think about why you're passionate about it. It's just something <laughs> yeah. that, that that is part of you. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I've got a coherent answer to the question, but let uh, me you know. There is a phrase that people use a lot, which is called getting back to nature, and I think that sort of points towards the answer because it sort of points towards the fact that uh, that we are nature, really, um, uh, humans, human beings, and we've actually, as we've uh, developed culturally, we've we've basically moved away from that natural state, and so when you spend time with nature, it's almost a, a way of getting back to what we are supposed to be. And I don't know if that, that's really it or not, but I think it, it's, it's something in that ballpark. Um, the other thing that that's really springs to mind is that na- nature is just so beautiful. I mean, I know it sounds a bit sort of cheesy and, and pretentious, but there is so much beauty out there. It, it, you know, in the uh, man-made world, there is you can find some beautiful things, but you have to search them out. In the natural world, there's just this endless variety of beautiful yeah. things uh, that you can see every time you go to um, go out and explore any habitat really that's in any good condition. Um, and I often think this, even uh, well, especially with the most common things that you see. You know, um, here at home, lucky enough to quite often see uh, blue tits every day. We see them, uh, and and every time I see them, I, I just think. I mean, we're used to seeing them, but they are stunningly beautiful creatures. And the yeah. same when we go rock pooling, we see things like shore crabs all the time. They're the, they're the crabs that people already know, always know. And so I'm always sort of picking them up and telling people about them. And I, and I look at them and, and every time they're a little bit different. And I just I just think that it's so perfect in their own way. 
So there's yeah, there's a lot of beauty in there as well. So like I say, not really a coherent answer, but uh, uh, hopefully uh, there's, uh, there's some meat on the bones you can pick out. <laughs> <laughs> I agree though. And I think like what you said at the beginning of your answer there about being like connecting back with nature, I think as as cliche as that can sound at times, because a lot of people, you know, it's, it's been pushed so much and especially with the lockdown years of people like, you know, saying connect back with it. But I find it for me personally, I find it so calming to do so. Like, I think the rest of our world, our man-made world, our, the, the way our society is currently running is so busy and stressful. And I'm not saying nature's not stressful. It's terrifying for a lot of things a lot of the time. But when you connect back with it, you actually feel a lot more relaxed. You feel calm. There's a lot of things in nature that are, you know, there really, whether it's the, the patterns, the colours, the sounds that relax you, that connecting back with it can be one of the best things you can actually do <laughs> for yourself. I find, for me personally, not to sound too vegan yeah. at the beginning of the show. I'm, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, cautious of, of maybe being a bit sort of close-minded about it, but... Whenever I come across somebody, and it's quite rare, I think, that who who sort of openly sort of anti nature, sort of said, you know, I, I don't want to bother with all that kind of stuff. I'd rather be inside watching TV or something like that. I'll probably, if I'm being, feeling polite, I won't say anything about it. But definitely in my head, I, I'm, I'm thinking, well, you're a lost <laughs> cause then. Basically, you're, you're just too, yeah. too, too far gone. It's not that you've just got different interests to me. Like you're, you're just basically lost to the world you're gone yeah 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 and, uh, go enjoy top gear because you're doing nothing else exactly. <laughs> but uh, but i never say that i uh, always just try and encourage them and uh, and usually you, get, you can uh, um even uh, the most reluctant people find some some kind of angle that they'll take uh, at least a little bit of interest yeah. in is would you ever have, have you ever ever had people then say i'm not oh, i don't really like nature have you had that? Well, it's part of what we do. We interact with loads and loads of people every, every year, and it's it does stick out when you, if you if you do get somebody who uh, who's just not interested. But uh, I mean, we're, we're literally talking about. We we must have uh, have uh, reached as they uh, the terminology they used. Uh, I think uh, over sort of three thousand people in in the uh, four years they've wow. been running, and maybe one or two have, have said that. And even them, they've, they've actually taken an interest in the stuff that we've done. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say, so. you must do, because imagine having that opinion. Like, well, what, what, you, you're you not allowed to eat then. Like, if you don't if you don't appreciate nature, where do you think your food comes from? You get, no, screw you. Well, they, they sort of have the attitude that it's, it's icky, you know, so uh, they'll, um, yeah. it's fine when it's been chopped up and put on their plate, I suppose. But if it, if yeah, it moves around true. and it's, uh, it's wet and slimy, then uh, they don't like it. Oh, the public. We love them and we need them. Well, um, yeah, uh, I do. I honestly do. I mean, that's one thing that's pretty unusual, I suppose, I think about myself. I do love people and working with people as, as well as love nature. Yeah. So uh, that's how I've ended up in the in the field that I'm in. And Christoph, what about yourself? For the natural world, um, what would you say uh, is your favourite thing about it? I mean, one of my favourite things to do is, like, I don't got, like going particularly rock pooling or into nature on my own because that's pretty boring. I like going out and finding stuff with people or, even better yet, like, finding things that I know yeah. about that other people not necessarily, like, don't know how to find, but, like, some things you can find, like, people actually don't know exist or, like, think mm. are mythical, right? So, like, some people think starfishes are, like, unicorns. They don't actually <laughs> exist. And then yeah. you're, like, you reach into a rock pool, like, here's one, put it in your hand. <laughs> it's, like, the, you know, the mind blown. It's, like, you know, I get another thing people don't think are, are real are seahorses, you know, all, all these sort of, like, amazing creatures that people hear about and sort of, you know, are grained in our culture, but they don't actually think they would ever be able to see or find 
and you know half an hour at a, a good rock crawling site and you will have you'll be bored of starfish you know you'll be bored of you, you mentioned yeah. pipefish like pipefish are my favorite thing to find because they're really easy to hold i think they're amazingly cute some people disagree with that but again you know <laughs> you put people in people's hands and they've got a fascinating biology which is the same as seahorses and they look like seahorses because they're related to seahorses so yeah, the the, well, the 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 cool thing I liked about it is that the males look after the eggs, which is what seahorses do, and everyone, everyone loves that fact. You know, that's the fact that sort of everything seems to universally people know about seahorses, and then you know, actually putting one of those creatures into their hands and saying, mm. like, yeah, this this is this is real. This is this is this is a thing that you can interact and stu- uh, and, and study and, and 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 touch and appreciate. Right, let's talk about rock pools. That's why we're here. That's why you two are here. I'm buzzing to talk about them. So, Ben, let's start with the obvious question. I mean, I know it sounds self-explanatory, but for someone that doesn't know, what is a rock pool? Okay, well, a rock pool um, is a pool of water in the rock, um, but it's not just any pool of water in the rock. Um, It's um, a a pool of water in the rock in between high tide and low tide on on the beach. Okay, so um, the, the beautiful thing about rock pools is that the sea comes in, fills them up and then goes away and leaves them there uh, and land lovers uh, like ourselves can go up to them and explore and find things in there that don't live in our world they live in the marine world so uh, that's what a rock pool is so w- when you say that they wash stuff up the are there things that permanently live in these rock pools or are they more things that get washed in and then get kind of you know for i guess stranded in there and have to spend the next six to 12 hours in there the majority of things will be permanently in there really particularly obviously the seaweeds are going to be permanently attached in there and a lot of the animals are permanently attached to the rock uh, and then others are mobile but they permanently live in the rock pools whether the tide's in or not some will um think uh, things like uh, some fish uh will be will, and the crabs can move around between rock pools but roughly will hang around in the same part of the beach and then there'll be others like you say uh, rarer that will just get uh, washed in on a particular tide and you'll be lucky enough just to catch them there particularly if you're talking about re- very big rock pool which is more like something you could swim in or something like that then you never know what could get uh, left behind in there when the tide goes out it's so exciting isn't it even like talking about this now makes me want to go rock pool <laughs> it really is like just taking me well, back you're gonna have to uh, come down with us ryan i'm gonna have to I, I i i used to absolutely love it and i used to i have this memory of like finding rock pools and seeing them as like i don't know how this is gonna sound when i say it out loud i used to see them as little towns as a kid i remember like thinking like this is like a little town for creep like do you know what i mean this is like a little like look, you've got this little crevice under a rock here you've got this like little brush of seaweed and it kind of it all is just like a little, almost like a micro habitat. Is that how we describe it? I think it, a lot of people do describe them uh, like that. And I think it's accurate uh, just because I, I think it is pretty rare for things to be in that rock pool that aren't in there nearly all the time. Uh, would you we agree mm. on that, Christoph? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think one of the big misconceptions about rock pools is that animals that live there are just sea creatures that are, you know, washed in by the tide and then trapped mm. there and then they want to go back out. The majority, I'd say, you know, nearly all rock pool species that you would think have rock pool species are adapted to live in rock pools. You know, that that's that they're, they're adapted, they've evolved to live in between the, 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 the tide marks. And it's actually pretty rare to find a, an animal that doesn't actually want to be in, in the rock pool. Some, some of the species you get kind of like smaller ones like living in rock pools, particularly crabs, and then they'll like, as they get bigger, they'll migrate further and further out. Mm. And then once it comes to like, the, you know, the big, biggest adult size they get to, they'll want to be subtitled beneath the tides. But 
for most species, well, like the ones that are actually stuck to the rocks, they're adapted to be there, but most other types of fish and all the mobile other species get yeah, that they, they are adapted and happy and, and want to live in, in rock pools because that, that is their their niche, as the phrase goes. And what I, I guess like also, like you said, Ben, some of these rock pools by definition can be quite large in size, mm-hmm. so enough for us to swim in. So can these be used by other animals as almost like nurseries? As as you also you said, Christoph, like you know, you've got crabs that will use them as phases to go out into deeper into sea. But are there animals that might use them to benefit as as nurseries as they grow? Well, I mean, the crabs are the obvious ones. I mean, they, I guess you could call it, a, it is a nursery, really. I've not heard it described that way, but um, but uh, all the crab species that we find in the rock pools, uh, you will find the, the smaller individuals towards the top of the beach. And then as they grow, they tend to migrate uh, down the beach. Nearly all the species, once they've reached a good size, uh, not be in the intertidal zone anymore. So you, you, you won't get the very biggest uh, crab species in, in the rock pools typically. You'll probably get them in, in one of those big rock pools uh, that I mentioned. But th- those very sizable ones are fa- fairly rare. I'm not too sure about other species, really. Most of the, the fish species that we get in the rock pools are rock pool specialists as well. So you uh, won't have a, a nursery in, in the same ways that, that you do, like mangroves uh, and are good nurseries for sort of... Uh, yeah. Uh, tropical fisheries most of our fisheries the juvenile species you won't find in the intertidal typically i don't think so let's start talking about what kind of species we find in there because there are some key species that we know so we all know like we said shore crabs Mm -hmm. and i'm sure other species of crabs like hermit crabs and and then we also have kind of like your shrimps your blennies your fish and things like that your anemones but i'm not going to name them Christoph. <laughs> doing my Christoph job for is. you. You kept on going. I thought he's going to stop at some point. Yeah. Right? I'm just going to, I'm not going to have nothing to say. <laughs> Christoph was like, one minute, let me write these down. Um, yes. Christoph, uh, what kind of life, bar the ones I've just mentioned, <laughs> yeah. can you find in kind of your UK rock pools? Yeah. So the, the way I describe it, or the best possible way to describe it, like how amazing rock pools are is that Actually, if you know, if you go a walk in some woods or you know other habitats in in the UK, you'll probably find insects. You'll see some birds. If you're very very lucky, you'll see some mammals, and there's all obviously the um, all the plant species. But that's actually quite a that's quite a small segment of the the tree the tree of life, and that misses out some very big branches. Basically, if you go rock pooling, you can pretty much practically find the entire tree of life. So, so you know, ev- every every group of organism is represented in in some form in rock pools. That's mainly because for lots of groups of animals, you just don't find them on land. They've not evolved yet yet to come up on land. But the, you know, for, for everything else, they're just much more abundant or in di- much different uh, proportions. So um, crabs, you think in crustaceans. You know, if there are land crustaceans, there's there's woodlice. Uh, but they're pretty. You know, well, not that hard to find. But again, they're not something yeah. that you would you know ra- naturally see going around on on lots of different species. You go rock pooling, you can find four or five different types of of, of crabs pr- pretty easily. Then you've also got really wacky groups of animals that people have probably never heard of. Um, so you've got nudibranchs, which are um, to describe them as sea slugs, but they are like, well, slugs on acid would be the best way to describe it. They are like <laughs> the most bizarrely colourful slugs you could possibly imagine. Like, you know, like, like, give an outline of a slug to someone, uh, so with like a three-year-old child and every coloured pencil you could possibly imagine, and that's what, just uh, that's what that, yeah, th- yeah th- th- that, that's what, uh, what nudibranchs uh, look like. You've also got um, polychaetes, which are basically worms, but you get like massive varieties of really colourful worms. Um, you also get like anemones or and jellyfish and all the different ranges of things. You get sponges. Um, 
Well, I say I don't think there's a single phylum, which is basically the big animals are grouped into mm. to, to, to phylums and all the big unique ones that are adapted. You know, and we're talking like deep time lineages. You know, animals that split off in the Cambrian explosion kind of kind of time. Yeah, you can pretty much find all of those rock pooling, and wow. that's pretty pretty unique compared to you know any other place that you would be pretty hard pushed to find that entire tree of life. But again, you know that that is a pretty low bar to to, uh, to 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 cross when you're rock pool. you will likely find every type of animal that exists that's amazing isn't it when you look at it like that like just the, the amount of life within this one habitat that you can find and i guess th- this might be a hard question for you both and well maybe we've answered it in the just the two questions we've asked us there but ben like you know we've grown up exploring these quite commonly in the uk we grow up exploring these habitats but what is it about rock pools that you love why have you kept hold of of these habitats in your life i think we have pretty much um answered it, it, it it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's the variety of stuff you can find and um it's just the fact that you just never know for sure what you're going to find and uh, it's the gift that keeps giving there's um a guy down here in, in cornwall called david fenwick who i i regard as uh, certainly the best uh, rock puller that, that i know um he's absolutely incredible got amazing amazing <laughs> he's, uh, you should check out please tell me he's got a title <laughs> well that's good enough and they're the, the best the world's best rock the puller. rock pool king yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but I recommend that people check out his website, actually. It's called A Photo Marine, all one word. He's, he just dedicates his life to taking amazing pictures of as many species as he can find. And he's always finding new stuff. You just never know for sure what you're going to find. Really? Um, it just sprung to mind, actually. He posted a picture on Facebook today of uh, something unusual he found in the rock pool five years ago. Uh, and it was a pheasant. So uh, you can even get uh, uh, <laughs> unusual terrestrial species. We did have, uh, when I was doing a rock pooling event, well, it must be about five years ago, actually, in, in Devon, uh, we got an adder once as well. So uh, uh, it's, really? it's, it's the interface uh, between uh, the land and the sea. So you never know. You can get some unusual uh, uh, terrestrial species in there as well. You just don't know what you're going to get. Was that alive or, or alive, deceased? Um, a, a young one, I think. I don't know much about adders, but it wasn't very particularly big. And uh, it was just obviously at the very top of the intertidal. So what it was doing there, I don't know. But uh, hopefully it well, got away. Mad. Yeah. What the what's it doing well and sorry but i'm focusing on the adder i mean reptiles aren't the most bizarre. why was a pheasant there <laughs> i've got no idea i'll have to ask dave um it's uh it, it's just literally in a rock pool as well it looked like it's, it's trying to find some food. <laughs> just having a nice salt bath <laughs> yeah waiting for it it was what a bizarre <laughs> bizarre find please te- what was the name of that this man uh, did you david say? fenwick is called David, please tell me David has a golden statue of a crab line as a medal of his honour. Well, we, we have to arrange we that. Should, to we happen. should arrange that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if he's a king of rock pools, he should have that, or at least like a silver bucket. <laughs> ben, I don't know if you just answered it with your adder, but I was going to ask you what is the best thing you found in a rock pool? So people ask me this a lot, and uh, the, the, the answer is a curled octopus. Um, but, what? but it's, it's a bit of a cheat of an answer because I didn't actually find it myself. But, <laughs> but that's not to say I just read about someone finding it on the internet. So I, I was there when it was found. Uh, it was one of the, the events yeah. that we were running. And uh, I was chatting to a lady on the beach. This very polite young lad uh, just came up to us and was just waiting for us to uh, to, to finish uh, what we were talking about. And I, I stopped and said, oh, hello, can I help you at all? And he said to me, 
I found an octopus. <laughs> and I was like, what? Why did what? you say so? Stop <laughs> talking. Point to me where it I is. Didn't re- I mean, I didn't, well, I did believe him, actually, because we'd heard that the one had been spotted um, uh, the day before. So we just ran off. And there it was, oh, right at the top exciting. of the beach as well. And uh, I, 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 as I'm telling this story, I'm looking at Christoph, and I remember that uh, um, he'd left the beach about 10 minutes before. So it's <laughs> a tale of woe for Christoph. I, I left the beach oh, about no. 10 minutes before. And I, I had, I'd said to, we'd had a really good time rock pulling. It was like a really, like, we'd hit, like, all the different rare species. But not as really good as it got. No. <laughs> and I was like, no, I said, I said, I had to go off. There was something I had to do. And I said to him, I said, I said to him, don't find an octopus. And I got, I swear, I got home, opened up WhatsApp, and I've got a photo of one. Oh, Christopher, how embarrassing. So, no, it's, no, it's all right. That just, means, that just means I need to go out more and, and get, you know, go out in, in, uh, in, in summer or, you know, wait for that. But others, others may disagree. Agree. Others may be telling you to go away because they may then find an octopus. <laughs> that, that is, that is, that is no true. Octopus, yeah, <laughs> there's a, you. You have some octo, octopi repellent on. <laughs> oh god, I would absolutely love, love like I've I've worked with them in a, in aquariums before, and I think they're absolutely incredible creatures with such high intelligence and and the, 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 there's something about it until you. I don't know whether the words interact with an octopus is the right one to say, but I'm going to say mm. until you do and you see them, they're so they're just incredible. I would love to see one in a in a rock pool environment as well because they're so made for that, really, as well. You hear people seeing them. Um, I, I guess I hear someone uh, spotting one once or twice a year a- across uh, the southwest, but uh, that's the only time mm. I've ever seen one myself. And uh, yeah, to see one um, in its natural environment is quite special. So that was good. Amazing. Uh, we also have these bobtailed squid, which um, which look like tiny little uh, cuttlefish. They're uh, only about mm. uh, an inch or two long. Um, they're, they're more common. Uh, they're not really rock pool species as such, uh, but you can get them in the sands just when the tide's um, are low, if you've got some sandy areas, and you can catch them. Very, they're very, very cute things. Um, and uh, uh, and oh, they're also cool. uh, interesting little uh, uh, cephalopods to check out. No, that would be amazing. Okay, Christoph, your turn. I mean, I don't know if you can beat an octopus, but what is the best thing you've ever found in a rock pool? Well, I, I have a slightly wackier answer to why I love this habitat. If, oh, if yes, yeah, sorry, jump, no, right, why, why, yeah, so, why I, I, do you I, love rock pools? <laughs> this is a very weird reason. So actually the fact that I've like pointed out and said, can we go back to this? Might, might actually, uh, but... but rock pooling as an activity is weird on a, like a galactic scale right like, like <laughs> what, what, which sounds weird okay and i'm gonna suppose this by even a weird, weirder statement if aliens exist if there's galactic civilizations out there in, in 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 the universe and we eventually make contact with them and you wanted to design a tourist brochure for that for aliens to come to earth to be like here's here's what's unique about about earth there's two things you'd put on there solar eclipses and rock pooling because it's very confident thing to say said very confident like it, it. it's true right it, it if aliens exist right if there's other planets with life on them there's probably not that much unique thing about earth you know other planets probably have rainforest so look, what other planets probably don't have or don't have the same degree is actually the intertidal zone the fact that we have a pretty big moon that's not really close so it like disrupts the actual like crust of the earth and turns earth into like into a volcanic hellscape like other moons do in in the solar system (laughs) but it's also not like really small and really far away so it doesn't have 
any effect on the Earth. It's this like perfect distance between being really big and reasonably close that actually the, that it affects the Earth and it only really affects the water's surface around the Earth and not close enough to tidally lock the Earth to the Moon. So the Earth is still spinning and the water stays in, in, in more the same place in relation to the Moon. So we get low tide and high tide twice a day. That is pretty weird and probably doesn't happen that often in the universe. Tides probably happen early often elsewhere in the universe, but actually this sort of perfect, almost Goldilocks ability for the fact that the water, our oceans twice a day come in and come out. It's really weird. And like aliens that come to Earth will be like, what is your ocean doing? Like it was here a minute ago and now it's gone. And the fact, you know, that this is an entire ecosystem that is evolved just to be able to deal with that. So if, if you're a rock pool, if you are an animal that wants to live in a rock pool, you have to deal with the water coming in and out twice a day. That means you have to evolve being blasted by the sun, but also getting like drowned by water. You also have to deal with um, the wa water coming in and being really salty. But as the tide goes out, if it rains, the water put, you know, rain comes down and it has no salt whatsoever. So you have to be like tolerant in the space of like a few hours extreme salinity and completely fresh water which for most animals is actually really hard like the majority of animals can only tolerate a single salinity level yeah. you know the other example has been like salmon that can switch from one to the other but like the physiological like degree that salmon undergo when they want to return to rivers is massive and rock pool creatures have to do that like twice a day um, so, <laughs> yeah you know, it, that's a good point it, yeah yeah, so that, 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 that's that's the big reason of like, you know, rock pools are really weird and they are mad as an as a, just an ecosystem. Like every so often some paper comes out and actually goes like, okay, maybe like Earth is really weird and has life because of the intertidal zone. So the fact that the water comes in and comes out twice a day, cooling it down and then heating back up, that's basically like a, like a pretty good catalyst to get like reactions going again i don't think there's any like paper that's got to like a high enough level of theory that's gone out but then like, the fact that like this is such a weird thing that happens on earth is you know a, a legitimate reason why people think like well maybe this is how life got started because it seems pretty unique and it's probably like one of the few things that is unique about earth that that we that we know about well, maybe not maybe not life starting but complex life uh, developing uh, i mean it could be i guess that when you said that you Put that advert together for for the aliens. They look at it and they, they will say, "Oh no, we've got them where we come from because uh, it's uh, only um, worlds that have that that actually uh, allow the development of uh, intelligent life." You never know. Exactly, exactly. But that's like, that, that's true. Like you said, Ben. Like like and, and what you both said. It's like with that tidal system, you've kind of it's almost like stabilizers on evolution to life, isn't it? It's, it's like given that opportunity to go go closer, go closer, like and like grow and and change and stuff and adapt and and manage to. Uh, it. I've got to say, Christoph. Like you know, we've been doing the show for nearly two full years. You're the first person to bring up aliens. Well done, Christoph. Well, I, mean, I, I thought I just listened to the, the uh, astrophysics one. Wasn't there some like? Maybe I mean, that was, a, that one, was but... very much about space and not aliens. Oh okay, well, okay. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I like what you took away from it. <laughs> oh, okay. I, just, <laughs> I thought there was um, some chat about aliens and uh, uh, what we could. There probably but, uh, was. Anyway, well, I know. I, 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 was I'm, probably I'm probably. on the alien tourist board. Here we go. <laughs> 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 Send them up into space. 
Um, okay, so now that that is a really good answer. I like that, and and it's incredibly thought provoking as well. Now I want to know what was the best thing you've ever found in a rock pool. Oh, um, I think the best time that I've been like, wow, I found this independently, and it was like mind blowing. What was a um, a stalk jellyfish, uh, which is only about a couple of centimeters long. They're basically halfway between. Um, a jellyfish, so, you know, swims around in, in the ocean and uh, an, an, an anemone. So both of those species are related. They're, they're, they're basically the same animal, apart from one is actually glued to the rock and well, doesn't quite filter feed, but catches things as, as it goes past. Um, stalk jellyfish actually want to be stuck to, to, to a substrate the majority of the time, but they can actually move. They can, they can like, use the sort of, of proboscis to, to move around. Um, but they're very, very small and they're very, very well camouflaged. But when you find one, they are so beautifully intricate you know they're, they're basically like minute flowers uh, and that you know i've only found one or two i, I think or for, 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 yeah for, i think it's, it's single below five digits the num number i found and when i do wow. find them i'm like wow i've done it you know it's, it's this big sense of this you know that, that that's all you know you, you could not plan to be able to find one because there's no there's no real place that you could go go to and be like oh i'm gonna search in this layer of the uh of the, the tide and look or in this species it is just pretty much random look that it or but from my experience ra ra random look yeah i think stork jellyfish are the, uh, on that nice sort of rarity scale and beauty scale to be like oh i've i've found something really really uh magical um i That's did i did cool. have a good other good moment when i was helping film a, a documentary for for rock pulling uh, ben you'll you'll know about this but basically i sort of turned up there was three days of filming and they wanted to help us to go out and find rock pools and rock pool species i turned up on the second day and basically most of the typical species have been found and they were looking for something rarer uh, but basically i was really struggling i couldn't actually like get through it and then about the last like two hours of filming on the on the last day, and I sort of given up. I'm just rock pulling on my own with this really nice little girl who's, who's helping me out, and her sort of hand dives into this this rock pool to <laughs> rummage around in the seaweed, and I suddenly sort of, I suddenly sort of yell stop, and she's sort of like quite startled because her hand is heading straight for a pretty giant scorpion fish, which sounds really scary. Jesus. They're not actually like poisoned or anything, but they're they're pretty gnarly and pretty big fish. Uh, and basically, I had to do the classic thing of like turn around, yell back to Ben or all the rest of the film crew and basically yell I need a bigger bucket uh, because this <laughs> thing was like <laughs> a lot yes. larger than the actual uh, that's got to be the sentence that every rock pooler wants to get that, <laughs> yeah. that's the Jaws equivalent of rock yes. pooling like we're going to need a bigger bucket <laughs> yeah um, so I got a nice like show showpiece to uh, to have at the end which which Ben nicely sort of uh, in the actual film Ben comes along and says hey kids I found this <laughs> yeah. I was like no no, 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 no he didn't well. no <laughs> Did you? Well, Did you? you know, to be, I, mean, I had no choice. I mean, it, the, the, the video was very much about me, not Christoph. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's just well, the way there it had go. to be. Yeah. Yeah. There was a contract there, Christoph. You did sign it. Um, <laughs> I, I think I was entirely voluntary by hours on that rock pool. I don't there's any contracts. <laughs> I've just Googled a scorpion fish because I recognise the name. Um, they're a lot like lionfish, right? Yeah, I'm not sure if they're directly. That, that, that's probably a very good way to describe one for, for, for a... I'd say lionfish, but without, like, the massive, you know, things yeah. that people think about. Like, like very lionfish. similar, yeah, as in, like, the spines on top kind of thing, but like you said, not as long and dangling. Well, the scorpion fish will... Uh, they're ambush predators, so they'll rest on, on the seafloor and just wait for something to come to them. Uh, lionfish are... 
uh, a little bit, a bit more out there in the water column, aren't they? Yeah, I think the f- the first image that's come up with on Google is not uh, is some different scorpion uh, fish. I'll have to I'll have to pull up the scientific name. Um, There's one I've actually... got here that's got quite a a blenny kind of appearance to it, which would suggest Ben, like you said, they're, they're kind of resting on the bottom floor. Yeah, kind of so they're, um, the ones we have in the UK, they, they call them sea scorpions or uh, bull routes, I think. Um, they're the ones that, well, we get others as well, but typically that'd be the species that you'll find. And they're not venomous. So, well, they, they can't uh, sting us um, here in the UK, but there are ones, quite a few elsewhere in the world that can give you a really nasty sting, same as, as lionfish can actually. So, uh, wow. Um, but, uh, but here they're all right. Quite a cool species to find, though. I like it. Um, let's talk about the Rockpool project, Ben. Let's. What is this project, and how did it start? Yeah, so I got a bit distracted. I was just checking, and uh, lionfish are actually in the same family as scorpionfish. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it made me think about it. So uh, um, I'm, I'm pleased I know that now, and uh, uh, everybody listening can now know if they didn't before. Um, yeah, the Rockpool project. So. The Rockpool project, it's uh, four years old now, actually. Um, so uh, about sort of seven years ago, I was working on a national citizen science project called uh, Caption Our Coast. And uh, that was mm. Rockpooling based as well. That was, uh, that was just for, for adults. Um, I was working at the Marine Biological Association in Plymouth, and I was uh, responsible for the sort of southwest uh, region for that project. And I really uh, enjoyed it. It um, hadn't trained uh, as a marine biologist. It was sort of getting me back to my roots and, and really reignited my sort of uh, passion for, uh, for rock pulling. I got a bit frustrated with it in a way. And I think you have this um, issue with a lot of citizen science projects in that uh, mm. they receive some funding. And, uh, you go out there and you get everybody involved and um, you say how important it is that um, you know, you're collecting the, uh, the data about the natural world. And it is very important because uh, getting the public involved in that is really the only way that we can collect data on a, on a meaningful scale um, for, for sort of seeing what we're doing to the natural world. But then the problem is the funding runs out. And that is a problem, not just when the funding runs out, but it's a problem really from the start of the project, uh, because uh, yeah. everybody knows that that cliff edge is, is coming. And I thought that really we should have taken advantage of, of that opportunity to, to have something that starts and, and has the capacity to keep going. And I wanted to uh, to actually start a, a, a not-for-profit organisation that uh, uh, could potentially bring in funding from all sorts of different sources and not have that cliff edge. And then what happened, um, soon after I sort of finished that job, I uh, met up with uh, an old friend of mine, Alan Smith, uh, who I studied marine biology with many years ago now. He'd gone on to become a teacher and was teaching in Dubai. He was just visiting me in Cornwall. We were out paddling, uh, uh, kayaking around the Cornish coast. And he said, uh, oh, um, before I go, I need to have a chat with you, Ben, because I've got this idea about something I want to do. Uh, and it turned out that he was uh, very interested in setting up a project, teaching people about, uh, and particularly children, about uh, uh, Rockpool wildlife. So I was like, mm-hmm. well, mate, we've got to just make this happen. And uh, uh, and then we, we did. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's uh, Amazing. It feels... Uh, Really nice uh, to be able to say that now. And of course, you're always worried about the future. Everybody is when they're running an organisation or a business. But we've grown uh, and, and done some amazing things uh, since then. And we've got a, 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 some, some brilliant people on board in the team, uh, both as employees and, and as volunteers. And uh, people that have been involved in the project right from the beginning, like Christoph as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been brilliant. And um, it, it just seems to, to get better and better, really. Uh, we've recently received um, uh, some really significant funding from the Heritage 
Heritage Lottery Fund um, to, for, a t- for a two-year project, which is called Blue Recovery. And that's targeting communities in Falmouth and, and Plymouth that are from the most disadvantaged areas in, in, uh, in those towns and cities and training them to become uh, uh, Rockpool citizen scientists um, um, uh, over the course of the next two years. Just exactly what we've always been about and, uh, and we're super excited about that. So uh, hopefully we can continue to grow on that basis, really. I, I love it. I think citizen science for me is one of the most exciting parts of, I don't know how to like sum it up, like projects within nature, I think is, is some of the most exciting things. I think what, what people achieve and what they gain from it, what, what, what public gain from it and what science achieves from it is just, it's so exciting to hear about. Um, Christoph, what kind of work does the project, uh, the Rockpool project focus on? Yeah, so we've got kind of, I guess, four big avenues that we, we like to sort of group our, our work into. The, the big one that we sort of already talked about is, is citizen science. So, you know, going out, helping people collect data. So uh, anyone who, who would like to, who has access to a, a local local beach, uh, can go out uh, and and do one of our surveys. So we have uh, simple you know beginner ones, which are just bio blitzes. So go out, take photos, and keep everything you find. Then we have like slightly more complicated ones, like they're looking at very small groups of animals, uh, and then going on to sort of larger ones. So the, the big end goal that we have is something called a, a crustacean biodiversity survey. So it's basically to go out and survey the entire zone to look, uh, to record all the crustaceans that they find the nice way we try and organize this is that if you go out and do one of our surveys uh, you can take photos or required to take photos of everything you find then you can go back and actually upload your survey with those photos to to our website to our to our online online portal the fit that allows us to do two really good things one is verify what what you've actually found so if you've taken a photo we can and you said oh yes this is a shore crab we can go yep that's a shore crab great verify the record uh, send it on it's good for uh, for future future science um, the, the other thing you do is actually keep that a record uh, for yourself so anyone who completes one of our surveys also gets like a personalized rock pooling report so they get like a personal uh, record of all the different species they found some of the species they haven't found which are the species that you found that are, that are rare which are you the top recorder of or um and you know a, a personalized record to, to keep people interested and keep people uh, engaged and doing more of our surveys in the, in the future because you know, like, there's nothing worse than a citizen science survey that's boring for the people people doing it <laughs> yeah and you know that that, that that same kind of principle kind of blends into our uh our, our other avenue so you know citizen science doesn't actually bring any uh, any money in other than you know grant funding which we're lucky to receive um, some funding for but you know it's that sort of a, like as ben said you know you're constantly having to apply and and um and you know, there's always like a barrier of when the funding runs out, it's potentially that 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 uh, that stops. Although you know, if the fantastic group of volunteers we have now is is you know, hopefully it's self-sustaining and can keep going for the long term. But there has to be other, you know, more stable revenue seems coming in. Uh, so we also have a, a, an ecotourism branch. So oh, anyone cool. who is interested, anyone who wants to go rock pooling and, you know, went rock pooling as a kid, but, you know, didn't really find much or, you know, always kind of think, you know, they'd like to go out with, uh, what I say, quotes, a professional, myself or Ben or, you know, <laughs> any any of the, you know, the uh, wonderful people who, who work for us who, you know, have spent many, many hours, you know, months of, uh, or years of their lives exploring the rock pool. Uh, rock pools and getting to know their local patches and getting to know how to find animals quickly and, and, and easily 
anyone can join us for those. You know, anyone who is in Cornwall or Devon or you know on holiday or you know, uh, I'm, I'm currently in Durham. So if anyone wants to go rock pulling anywhere near there, I am always available. You're gonna I'm be flooded with emails now. <laughs> yes, no, no, I will not be upset with that. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I'm more than love to go rock rock pulling with anyone who who who. who um, you, you might have my mum actually, Christoph. Um, I spoke to my mum today. <laughs> oh, okay, and, uh, right, okay. She needs oh, yeah, to renew right. her passport, and apparently they said the only place at the moment you can go to have your interview or whatever she needs to do uh, that's available is Durham. So, yeah. uh, so, oh, okay. so uh, she would uh, be delighted if you could take her out. Okay, great, wonderful. You might be able to get a deal with UK Customs of get your passport renewed and go rock pooling at the same time. It, it's Maybe a natural a collab. <laughs> <laughs> Probably been done already. <laughs> <Some reason. laughs> yeah. but you know we're, we're on these ecotourism safaris we call it, rock pool safaris we, we call them we actually get people to run, uh, do a very simple version of our, our citizen science so people go out we give them uh, waterproof devices that you know underwater cameras so they can actually take really nice photos of all the rock pool species they, oh, they find cool. and then you know that that de- that um, de- data, uh, or we take back back, back back the cameras, upload the photos, go through everything that we found, ID them, and then send a, a, a personalized rock pooling report, a list of all the different species we found, all the photos that that, that they took, uh, and then you know if they've got an account with us, that will also be added to their list of species, the total species that that, that, that they found. And, you know that the, the idea is there's this sort of circular loop of if people are interested in nature we can go out they can collect na- they can uh, look at nature they can gather data on it um but what's often missing missing in citizen science so is if people go out and collect that data is what happens to that data doesn't actually get fed back to the people who actually you know collect the data it's sort of it's yeah, written up as a, a scientific yeah it's written up as a scientific report put in a journal mm. somewhere you might get a like you know i, I think there are you know certain reports that are used to be user friendly but what we like doing and what, what we want to do is not only do you get like a report straight away, you know, you get your data sent back to you straight away from when you submit a report. We also are constantly analyzing that data and, you know, talking to it and having holding forums and sharing that data back with anyone who, who's, who's taking part. And the idea is that, you know, that if someone got interested in originally because they love nature, they've gone out collected data, we then analyse that and can talk it through them and share it, and that increases their love of nature, therefore they're more likely to go out and do more surveys, and you know, the circle of that going round and round and round, you know, yeah. that's the ult- ult- um, the big ult- ultimate goal, and I-, I think is should be the way forward for every citizen science, you know, project, and you know, that doesn't, that doesn't limit the ability of hardcore scientific papers to, to to be written and to be analyzed and that data be done in a, in a serious way but it you know it engages it creates a, a community of citizen sciences which is much more beneficial i think for ev- everyone in well i think you've kind of hit the now and you've almost brought it full circle to what ben said at the beginning is is in, engaging people and connecting with nature more is that like you know we can have all these papers written we can have these academic reports but at the end of the day they need to be addressed and communicated to the general public on every level because otherwise if they're not how can we expect the general public and everyone to understand about the issues and care about nature if we're not communicating it directly back to them in a way that and and it's not patronizing to say in a way that they can understand because it's it's, you know the reason why that's not patronizing is because it's a very specialist job Exactly, is what these reports are doing. It's it's not. It's no, it's no know, different to a mechanic. Life. I mean, he'd have to to break things yeah. down very simply to explain to me how to uh, do anything <laughs> under the bonnet, basically. Yeah. Um, I don't exactly. think it's uh, it, it's patronising. It's just different people are specialising in different areas. So, uh, um, if yeah. if you're going to communicate to somebody who's not specialised in that area, then you need to 
find a way to do it. It's not always easy, and and uh, it takes no. it's um, it's a skill in itself. I think really. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think it's a brilliant point that you guys mentioned is that the, 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 getting that information, that feedback back to people, is going to have that full cog effect background to keep it all going to get them to come back and and want to not only want to be involved but actually to feel involved as well with it all. I guess is the big thing as well. Ben, for the Rockpool project, what's what's in the future? What what uh, what's in the plans? Well, I mentioned this two year project that um, we've just been uh, very grateful to receive funding for from uh, Heritage Lottery Funds. Um, and so that's our uh, immediate focus, especially uh, over the next uh, six months or so, really getting up and, uh, up and running and um, making sure that that's a big success over the next two years. We have all this other stuff going on at the same time. Um, so we've only fairly recently, we're, we're based um, in, in the Falmouth area originally, and we've only fairly recently um, established ourselves in Plymouth, but that's really starting to, to grow very quickly as well. We, we have, uh, as, as well as our ecotourism stuff, we have a lot of stuff uh, with our education um, theme. So uh, we work a lot with schools uh, and we go to, into schools and also um, do beach activities with schools, similar kind of thing. We get kids involved in, in collecting our data and again, uh, feed that back to them. And, and yeah, it's um, growing quite rapidly, it feels, at, at the moment. And so uh, it's it's great, um, but um, I, I suppose it's, it can feel a little bit overwhelming at the same time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's a question of uh, making sure that uh, people and myself, uh, people like myself and Christoph uh, are able to take a step back from it every now and then and make sure it's, it's growing in the right direction. So that will definitely be, those two areas uh, will be our focus uh, over the next couple of years or so. But uh, there's already interest uh, from other parts uh, of uh, of the southwest as well. And uh, we've got our citizen science stuff is, is growing. Uh, we've had our first survey in, in Scotland uh, this month. So, uh, oh, so cool. uh, that's really starting to, to grow all around the country. Uh, and then hopefully... Um, as the years roll by, that uh, that will actually sort of be a forerunner in, in new areas for us to do the other stuff that we do, uh, because uh, well, we love what we do, and I think that things, for example, like the um, ecotourism stuff that we do, uh, not only is it really great for for raising awareness of, of the wildlife and collecting data, um, but it also gives people jobs, casual work, but it's still work that uh, didn't exist before. That uh, and there are plenty of people out there who are, um, are talented enough and skilled enough to to do this, and so uh, um, hopefully we can continue to do that and provide more opportunities for that in the future well to, to you both and to everyone working at the project congrats on everything you've achieved and are about to achieve in the future as well because i i love hearing about projects like this non-profits and stuff that you really are connecting with local people and also spreading like you said like going up all the way to the opposite end of the country up in scotland and having similar things work and and you know it's a sign of things that can grow and um it's really exciting and especially with rock pools it's such a I don't know, dare I say a part of the British culture or the UK culture <laughs> is exploring these landscapes and habitats. Even if we didn't know it at the time, I think you'd be hard come by to find family in the UK that didn't at one point in their life back in the 80s and 90s go down to the rock pools exactly. <laughs> to explore as a family. Um, so the last question to you both, and Christoph, we'll start with you, is the into the wild question is, if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone on the planet regarding the natural world, what would you pass on? So I've been, I've been thinking about this. <laughs> even, even before I like, emailed you, I'd be like, oh. Uh, so I'm, I'm feeling a lot of pressure now. Uh, but I've, I've come to the, I came to this sort of conclusion. It's almost advice for myself, actually, or advice for a younger version of myself, is that don't worry about not having a, a stick. Don't worry about have it, having a group of animals or a group of species that like you are known as the, the expert 
four. If I, you know, I, I grew up basically, you know, just it, it seemed like every group of animals that I got interested to, it was like someone always knew more than me. Or it was like, always oh, like, you know, you got interested to people. Oh, this is a, this is the very specific brand of, of uh, specific group of spiders person. Or this, you know, or even this is the spider person. This is the bird person. And I was like, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a, a group of animals that I'm like obsessed with or know everything about. Or like, I think I was like, and it took me a while to sort of get over that and be like, not that we don't need specialists. And, you know, it's, and if you absolutely love one group of animals, that's fantastic. But, for me, I think it, it was it, I was able to enjoy nature a lot more in my my time in it when I suddenly realised like no I don't I don't need to be a specialist in one thing I can just you know try and just appreciate as many things as as I can and there is always going to be no matter how you know how in depth you get um, into one group there's always probably going to be someone there who knows slightly more of you or you know or, or you know or knows slightly more in a different field of that I think it's really important to in my regard to enjoying nature you know the, the only thing I've sort of fallen into is like one species of hermit crab I'm known I'm known for knowing a lot about and it's like you know that's even more niche yeah it's, yeah it's, but you know but, but I don't think that you know no having I'm basically I found one species of hermit crab I wrote one email and then I spent four years researching it or quote still mm. researching and you know read every single thing about it and I don't think you know that doesn't imp- that doesn't improve my appreciation of a the hermit crab in the first place, but also just you know nature in general. Because you know if you go, yeah. if you go, I'm not always going to see that hermit crab, and I shouldn't always go searching for that hermit crab, or I shouldn't always just be focused on one on one group group of animals. And I'm, it took me a longer time than I would have liked to have stopped worrying about about that when I'm you know researching or learning or just being in nature or going on walks, and someone knows every single type of bird or some person knows every type of spider or, or, or whatnot and I can just you know I can just bumble along and, and appreciate what what I know how to to um to ID and what I don't know how to ID I can still appreciate you know that that's that's interesting in it in its it's in its own way I really like that answer and, and because I that I would say that's the same with myself is that I've had to learn to to not fear to be the generalist and someone that kind of like is interested in a multitude of areas of nature, which many people are as well. Even if you specialise in an area, it doesn't mean that's all what you're interested in. But sometimes it can be just as as skillful to be able to allow your brain to go off into different areas and research into different things. Because like, there's so many things that I don't know about, but then there's also some things that I know a lot about purely because I've got that interests me. Let me let my brain go down that route, and it's completely different to the last thing I was researching or um, being interested in. Um, hence, with this podcast and what we've you know what we've focused on over the two years that we've researched. So that's a really interesting answer. I'm really glad you picked up on that because it's something we've not had before. Ben, the same question to yourself is: if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone regarding the natural world, what would it be? Well, I've given us a bit of, of thought as as well, and um, <laughs> I, I've settled on something that wouldn't necessarily be an obvious uh, thing to say. I, I think that if you've decided that you want to go out uh, and experience nature, and uh, you you know you've got a particular um, habitat or, or location in mind, I would say make the effort to see if it's possible to do some kind of citizen science survey. Uh, if, if there's any kind of uh, program mm. uh, available for for that particular habitat. Uh, and I don't, when I say that, I don't say that because, you know, um, I, I want more and more people to get involved with our stuff and collect more data for us <laughs> and things like that. I'm not really looking at it from a, from a scientific point of view. Um, I'm just looking at it from the point of view that 
Um, and a lot of people say this uh, once uh, they, they do um, not just our surveys, but any citizen science surveys, that they've, they've noticed things that they never would have noticed before. Uh, and I guess um, that's probably because these surveys have been designed by people that, that really know their, uh, the, the habitats and uh, they're looking for certain things to be recorded. And it just gives you a nice focus to get yourself um, really immersed in that, in that habitat. And yeah, there are lots and lots of different citizen science projects out there. So uh, um, give that a go. And uh, I think that... Um, for a lot of people who are, you know, aren't uh, professional scientists or uh, have, have worked professionally in uh, nature-based fields, that but end up being really keen uh, and, and brilliant amateur experts. That's how they got in in the first place is uh, mm. uh, getting involved in, uh, in some of these surveys, which are designed to be entry level um, uh, and uh, something you can just pick up and go with so uh, and you'll be surprised uh, how sort of uh, therapeutic it is really uh, to do a lot of these things well amazing ben christoph thank you so much for joining me on this episode of into the wild it's been incredible to journey back to my dare i say youth (laughs) (laughs) of rock pools and open up that door of fascination again It's, it's been lovely to chat to you both incredible work the project and I support you both so much and you know what I'm going to accept that invitation and I I say I will come down this year let's hope that I do try and visit you both and try and go on one of these rock pool safaris which I would absolutely love to do but thank you both so much uh, for joining me on today's episode of Into the Wild. Thank you very much. Thank you very much Ryan and and that is most certainly an an open invitation whenever you're down this way. Um, Could I be um, um, cheeky enough to sort of uh, suggest uh, ways uh, that people might want to get involved with the Rockpool project uh, if they're listening absolutely no please do go for it um so we've spoken a lot about our citizen science work um and the way that that works is we have designated sites where people can do surveys but we can always set up new ones so if, if you're interested in doing uh, if you're close enough to uh, the beach we've got Rockpool locations all around the country pretty much so uh, we're always interested in setting up new sites go to our website uh, it will give you uh, information for, for how you can get in touch with us so we can do that if anybody's interested from the educational point of view uh, as well as doing the stuff uh, that we uh, we do in the field locally and, and visit uh, local schools uh, we have our virtual rock pooling uh, that uh, we d- developed during lockdown where uh, <laughs> uh, we filmed ourselves Amazing. turning over rocks and uh, discovering stuff Christoph and I and, and some of the other guys we we We'll have a live Zoom with kids in a classroom. They get a picture with different spots in in uh, in the rock pools, and they pick it, uh, pick a number, and uh, that opens up a video, and we see one of us finding something, and then we chat to the kids about it. They ask questions. It really is uh, uh, really good fun, and so that's something that you know, if your listeners, wherever they are in the world, um, if uh, if it's of interest to them, we can deliver, and then. Just as I mentioned to you, uh, we run uh, the Rockpool Safaris down here uh, in the southwest. So if you'd like to uh, uh, come out with uh, with uh, myself or, uh, or Christoph, if he's about, um, or we've got loads of other amazing safari guys that uh, uh, can uh, can show you a lot of the things we've been talking about and teach you more stuff, uh, we'd be more than happy to. So look us up uh, um, on our website, which is therockpoolproject.co.uk. Amazing. It's, uh, it's so incredible. You guys do so much. It's, it's wonderful to hear. Well, thank you so much. And all the all the links to the Rockpool Project's information is in the write-up of this episode. So if you want to check any of that out, just uh, read below and you'll see the links there. But to uh, Christoph and Ben, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening, Nature Nerds. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Ben, Christoph and the Rockpool Project are up to, then of course you can follow them on social media. All the tags and the links to everything we discussed in today's episode are in the write-up of the show. 
Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. If you would like a shout out on the show or to be put into a draw to win a free Into the Wild podcast mug, yes please, then all you have to do is review the show on iTunes or Spotify or both and send me a screen grab, take part in our weekly nature highlight share every Sunday on Instagram, or you can tip Into the Wild via our Kofi link in the write-up of this episode. Of course, you can do all three of those things and increase your chance of winning the monthly mug. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.